lords, my ladies, and everybody else here not sitting on a cushion. Well, we have a rather curious subject this morning. To study our heritage from the past is not simply a waste of time, because most of that heritage is still with us. I think it's, it's important to live life with a knowledge of its mystery and of your own mystery. And it gives life a, a new zest, a new balance, a new harmony to do this. The human story is much more complicated and much more mysterious than we've been taught. We need to wake up as a human species. We need to become our own leaders. This is, the, in my view, the next step forward. When people find out what it is that's ticking in them, they get straightened out. We can win the fight, but we can win a little every day. And every day when we make the smallest victory, there will be a little more of happiness and a little less of pain. Every day, one step forward, even a small decision, will strengthen us for another one tomorrow. And gradually, these right decisions will bring us enlightenment and companionship in the spiritual adventure of existence. Welcome to Wayfinder, everybody. Hope everyone's doing well for the Corona Palooza 2020 lock-in extravaganza. Uh, this is Adam in our mobile studio. This is the Wayfinder mobile studio here in the camper in my driveway. We're, uh, we're doing it a little bit different than usual, like everybody is right now. Times of transformation. Modern problems require modern solutions. So here we are. Um, super excited about today's episode. We've got uh, one of my heroes in the men's workspace, uh, Ryan Mickler with the Order of Man. I would say podcast, but it's really a movement. The Order of Man movement, uh, empowering men to, uh, to to find their balance and to, be, uh, to sort of restore the masculine archetypes. At least that's how I see it. Uh, Ryan, yeah, you got you got audio video over there. You're doing good. Yeah, man, I'm here. Glad to be joining you today. Awesome, man. Thanks for thanks for coming on. I'm really excited to have you. Of course. We were talking a little bit before uh, before we kicked it off, and I've been following you for a long time, and uh, I love what you do. And for anyone who's not familiar with uh, with Ryan's work, it really is. Um, of course, I'll let you explain more about it. But what one of the things that drew me to your work was um, first and foremost, I, I identify as a father. It's one of the things that, you know, on, uh, on, on this show, on this platform, we talk a lot about uh, helping to restore balance uh, to, to men, to women, to children, to parents, to, uh, to friends, to families, and all of that stuff. But first and foremost, I, I kind of identify myself as a father because that's the most important thing in my life. And uh, I, I love hearing you tell stories about the, the interactions that you have with your kids. And that's one of the things that drew me to you was uh, I wasn't hearing a lot of those stories elsewhere. And I was telling these stories on the show and I was just going, man, is there no one else talking about this kind of stuff? You know, having these candid, open, connective conversations with your kids. And then I found your stuff and I was like, oh, my God, here's somebody who really gets it. And I love that, man. So big props to you for thank looking, you looking at fatherhood as a as a sacred vocation, because I, I dig that. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I think a lot of people out there are talking about businesses and fitness and all these other things, which are good. Nothing wrong with that. It's important. Sure. But uh, there's a big gap when it comes to fatherhood and how meaningful and significant it is. So, yeah, I've really taken that not only father, but, you know, husband and just a man in general. You know, what is it that I'm doing around my house? Right. <laughs> like what, what projects do I have that I'm working on and how am I showing up for the people that I care most about, whether that's my my wife or kids or, or uh, neighbors? 
you know, every, everything else is good, but uh, it's 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 uh, covered quite a bit. And this other angle is just not. It's not even an angle. Just this other aspect of life, this critical aspect of life. Yeah, it's a it's a component of manhood, right? It's, it's, oh, it's a huge component of it that goes yeah. un, goes unaddressed largely. And I'm with you, man. Like I, I think fitness is is super important, and business is super important. And I'm really thankful that there are a lot of voices in that space helping people, uh, entrepreneurs, yeah, and for sure uh, all that stuff. Super important stuff, but. I think maybe I wonder if maybe fatherhood is lacking a voice in this space because a lot of people who are I was I was 21 years old when I became a dad and it's tough growing a business as a 21 year old kid. Uh, I started my business in 2005, became a dad in 2006, mm-hmm. and um, I run an IT company and we 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 install IT networks and and uh, uh, consult on IT networks for hospitals mainly. Okay, yeah, and. Um, and we have hospitals all over the country, which is <clears throat> this has been a really interesting time for us with the Corona thing because we've had all of yeah, our projects shut down, a lot of weird stuff happening. But um, as as a young father, it was really challenging growing a business and paying attention to my business and having you know both hands on the wheel while also being a dad and trying to trying to maintain that balance. And frankly, I didn't do a great job of it most of the time, right? And it was usually mm-hmm. my kids in those early years that sort of suffered. And I wonder if maybe that's why we don't hear a, a lot about fatherhood from a lot of these entrepreneurs and stuff is like, they're not fathers. I, I've got several friends who are um, doing really well that are doing podcasts and stuff and uh, helping men in, in the fitness space and in the business space, but none of them have kids. So it's just a, it's, it's a thing that they're just not even exposed to. Yeah. And, and that's fine. You know, if they don't have children, then obviously what we talk about from, from that aspect, we talk about other things, then that, that component of it won't resonate. That's fine. I think it's also not sexy, right? Right. Like if you've got a little kid and you're changing diapers and the kid's crying and you're fumbling around in the dark, you know, trying to trying to ease the the concerns of a child who just woke up from a nightmare. And I mean, this stuff is meaningful, but it's not real sexy. You know, it's not the stacks of cash and in the fast cars in the in the exotic vacations and so it just doesn't sell as well i think it's a big component of that i mean that look That's instagram so facebook twitter all these other areas they're, they're all important they're a critical aspect of, of my business obviously but you know they're 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 overly curated they're highly filtered uh they're 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 not real it's not a legitimate person's life that you're seeing even in, even from my perspective like what i share and i try to be genuine and share the goods, the bads, the uglies, the ups and downs, all of it. And even still, I, I filter it. I curate it. So you're not getting a real perception of what somebody's life is. Yeah, I think that's interesting because, uh, you know, you I, I saw a post from somebody the other day. I think it was like Kyle Kingsbury on Instagram. And Kyle Kingsbury is like affiliated with Onnit, the fitness company. Mm-hmm. And he's like a UFC yeah. fighter guy. And uh, I've met Kyle and he's a wonderful guy. Um, but he had this really authentic post that he made so authentic it was almost unsettling and he was like look all of my posts that you guys see it's all bullshit mm-hmm. every every photo is staged every photo op is sought after and set up you know every i'm taking pictures of myself in 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 uh, bikini underwear shooting a bow and arrow in aubrey right. marcus's backyard and he's like it's all bullshit you know it's all right don't don't try to compare yourself to these instagram heroes and stuff like that and I guess I I never really did social media till the last couple of years until this podcast. And so mm-hmm. I I'm still constantly becoming more aware of this thing that I never really knew existed, which is that people really do model themselves after and compare themselves to these these like um 
these these monolithic sort of Instagram personalities and stuff. And I, I didn't know that that right. was really a thing. I didn't know that was really a rampant problem. But I'm starting to see that uh, a lot of people do that, and they, they do it to their own detriment. Yeah, I mean, even if they do it subconsciously, which I think is probably more more common, you know, they don't think they're influenced by these things, but mm-hmm. they are. You know, if companies and organizations would pay millions and millions of dollars to get your eyeballs for 30 seconds in the middle of Super Bowl, you can be damn sure that these people know that they can influence your behavior in a very short period of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you take these Instagram celebrities and gurus and whatever else, and and you have them curate the, the lighting and the shadows and the muscles, there's apps that you can actually put like a six pack on your, your stomach, you know, and it, like, and it'll make a six pack. Like there's things like this that are legitimately what people are using and doing. And then subconsciously we think that we need to live that sort of life and we need to chase those things and we need to pursue those hobbies and those interests and that activity the way that ever everybody else is doing it, which actually might work for somebody. Like if somebody's pursuing something, whether it's I don't know, jujitsu or hunting or starting a podcast or any number of things that it could be for that individual. It may be a very great thing, but if it isn't your purpose and your objectives and your goals, then you're going to feel like you're banging your head against the wall because you're living somebody else's life. And it, even if you do achieve some measure of success towards that endeavor, it, it has no meaning and no purpose and value because it's somebody else's ambition. That's it. We, we talk a lot, a lot on this show about living in truth. And we talk a lot about that within our family and our tribe of, of friends that we surround ourselves with is that that living in truth and understanding what your highest purpose is and then letting letting yourself be guided by truth and by authenticity, because authenticity is magnetic. And just over the last three or four years of moving into this place of truth and trying to to keep our family grounded in it. We've just seen the, the the gravitational effect of living an authentic life is you just suck all these fucking people into your life that are just good people, that are authentic people, that are guided by the same purpose, which in our case is typically trying to make the world a better place. It's just the the, the really basic high-level distilled-down version of what we're yeah. trying to do. Just make leave it better than you found it, right? And uh, I think there's there's a trap though that you need to be aware of when you're doing that because even as you're talking about it. So, well, let me let me share a couple of things on this idea. I don't I don't like the term truth because it's almost alluding to like my truth. There is no my truth. There's your perspective, there's your experience, there's your beliefs and your viewpoints, but it's not objective truth. It's subjective, therefore it's a it's an opinion, it's a perspective. So I, I I'm very careful of using that word, but I do like the word authenticity. But it's funny because even that word in the context you're talking about it. Uh, you're saying, okay, if you're more authentic, then you're going to suck people in. And I believe that's true. I believe that's right. It's magnetic, like you said. But at the same time, in that very sentence, there's the temptation to be authentic for the sake of appealing and being attractive to more people, which actually undermines and diminishes the authenticity of you doing something for the sake of doing it. So it's a very fine line. I agree with you. It's just something people need to be very, very aware of. And I think authenticity has less to do with you influencing another people, uh, other people, and more to do with you just doing the things that are meaningful, fulfilling, satisfying to you. And then, hey, I'm just gonna let the chips fall where they may. If people are attracted to this, great. If they're not, that's cool too. But I do this for me. I love that. It's such a fascinating concept, and this takes me back to something we've talked about before on here is um, the idea of, of selfish selflessness. 
Mm-hmm. And so the idea that like going out and you know taking plates of food to homeless people out and feeding them out of your truck in downtown Dallas or whatever on Thanksgiving, like is one of the most gratifying feelings that you can have as a person, right? right? Yeah, um, for sure. But it's like the first time, and we we had this issue before. I mean, I, I've struggled with this my whole life. I remember like being in high school. And, and realizing that the we used to do a lot of mission work at my church when I was a kid, and I was like, man, this feels really nice doing things for people, you know, building homes in Mexico for people that didn't have them or, you know, putting together bikes and taking bikes up to the to the Native American reservations and stuff in Oklahoma, which was a lot of stuff, the stuff that we did. And I remember thinking how great it felt. And then, like, I was convicted then with guilt of, like, am I just doing this because it feels good, Right. And this is sort of yeah, the but same I don't think thing. there's anything wrong with that, right? I mean, that's it's okay to feel good. It's okay to have some self-serving interests. I think where it becomes a problem is when it's at the expense of other people or at the expense of your own well-being. So you can feel good about being charitable. Is there some selfishness in that? Yeah, absolutely, because you're doing it because you like feeling good. Does that make it wrong? No, it actually is a wonderful thing. So they're not mutually exclusive. You just need to be careful of, when it when you're when you're selfishly driven and it comes at the expense of something else, that's where it becomes a problem. But you can be selfish and serve others. Uh, for example, talking about fatherhood, I really like playing Legos with my kids. Like I like it. I have fun. Even if my kids weren't doing it, I would probably still be doing it because I like it. And also, I get to spend time with my kids. So, a lot of these things can overlap. They're not mutually exclusive. And I think it's okay to have some selfish interest, especially when they're aligned with other objectives, other goals and other people that you care about and you love and you want to serve. I love that. You know, for, for us, one of the most Im- impactive things that we've, uh, or factors that's moved into our, our life in the last few years has been a really solid group of friends, people mm-hmm. from different walks of life, people of different ages, people in different geographic places around, you know, the country and even the world. And it's, uh, I totally agree with what you're saying is, you know, you can, it's great to be authentic and all that, but but doing anything with the purpose of trying to seek out people or impress people or or whatever is it's it's a slippery slope and it's it may be a thin yeah. line in a lot of cases. Um, I think that on on the on the journey to sort of finding yourself and and being who you want to be and uh, all that, I think everybody goes through a phase where you struggle with that. You know, like mm-hmm. am I being authentic or? Am I trying to do this for a certain reason? Is there an ag- subconscious agenda here that I'm not even aware of? I've been there at least. Um, and now I'm surrounded by friends who keep me, you know, they, they kick me in the ass often enough from different angles <laughs> that it kind of balances me out. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, th- I think that's that's such a key thing is um, I heard this phrase, like for instance, you know, I heard this phrase a long time ago that that I really liked and now I don't like it as much, but it was, you know, friends are people who make you fall in love with yourself when they're around you. Mm. It sounds good. It feels good. But you may, may maybe the person that you are right now is not someone you should be in love with. Maybe you need, maybe you got some work to do and being surrounded with the people who just make you love yourself and fall in love with who you are. Maybe that's maybe that's not always what you need. Maybe you need somebody to kick you in the dick every once in a while. Yeah, well, I, I, I think that's a very valid point. I, I would say there's probably a difference between being being in love with yourself that's the right term and yeah. then just being complacent yeah, right because some because yeah. there are people around that you can surround yourself with who just who applaud your complacency your mediocrity 
the current rut that you're in, right? If you're, if you're, you're, you're drinking and, and, and out, you know, chasing women when you shouldn't be, and you're engaged in all these activities that you know are bad for you. And then everybody around you is doing the same thing and encouraging you to be that way. And they will, by the way, encourage you to do that. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't matter what it is. The people around you are going to encourage behavior, healthy or negative behavior. It's just a matter of who you're around. So yeah, you fall in these levels of complacency, but you know, I, I think to your point, there is a danger in just accepting yourself for who you are. This is like the, the body positive movement, right? And embrace the dad bod and just be happy with who you are. Like, why would, why would any motivated, ambitious person want to be completely happy with who they are? Yeah. Now, it, can it be taken too far? Of course. Then it becomes destructive and dangerous uh, when, when you start to compare yourself to other people or you hate things, your performance, and you're not doing anything about it. Yeah, that's a problem. But on the other end of the spectrum, which is you love everything about who you currently are and you don't care about how anybody views you or thinks about you, that's a problem too. You got to find the middle ground of, okay, I, I like who I am. I've got some victories and some things that I've done well. And you know what? I'm, I'm weak in these areas and here's what I'm doing to improve. Yeah, we, we can't fall into complacency on either side, positive or negative. It's somewhere in the middle usually. How do you find that middle ground, you personally? Because for me, it's it's a largely like I said, it's a it's a I triangulate off of my my group of friends. I've got people that do all kinds of things, totally different kinds of men in my life and, and women. And uh, you know, I I li when I look at the people around me, I say these are good people. They're 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 you got to be a good parent, or I'm not interested in being your friend. Mm -hmm. First of all, yeah. um, you know, you got to be a good you got to be a good a good parent. If you own pets, you've got to be good to your pets, right? You know, like if you've got plants, you got to take care of your plants. These are things that to me are, are signs of, of good people. Um, sure. be, be a good neighbor, a good human. And once I've established that in my friendship group, which all this happens subconsciously, obviously, you just vibe with a person and then you go hang out with them a few weeks later and you're like, oh, yeah, I kind of figured you were a good parent. Now I see you interacting with your kid and there you go. Um, once I've established all that and I've got these friends, I sort of triangulate and they, they, they act like mirrors and they reflect back at me this image of myself. And I can say, you know what, maybe I could be more like Tim in this way and be a little more compassionate with my kids. Or maybe I could be more like Josh and be a little more patient with my partner, you know, and things like that. How, how do you find that balance? How do you find that middle ground for yourself? It's interesting. You're using the word good. Like I find good people to be around. That's, that's one metric, but there's, and, and we talk, within our movement order of man specifically to men, right? Men exclusively. And I came across some work by a gentleman named David Gilmore. He wrote a book called manhood in the making. And in the book, he, he, uh, researches and documents and spends time with cultures all over the globe. Some who have not even been introduced to each other, trying to define and understand what these different cultures and tribes and societies think about masculinity and what it means to be a man. And he finds some very interesting uh, parallels between most of these cultures, some that have never been introduced to the modern world. And he makes the distinction in his book that there's a difference between being a good man and being good at being a man. So being a good man, for example, really speaks to virtuous moral living. You talked about compassion and empathy. Those are virtues, right? So somebody who displays compassion and empathy 
is what we would say moral in some capacity or virtuous, right? Sure. Then you have this other element, which is capability. Good at being a man, which is what David Gilmore says. So capability. So, okay, so you have somebody who's compassionate, but are they are they wealthy enough or or intelligent enough or resourceful enough to be able to uh, serve those who are underprivileged, right? So you have morality and you have capability. You need both because if you're just a moral person, but you don't have any ability to do anything with it, what what good are you going to do? If you're a completely capable individual, but you have no morality to go with it, you could turn into a dictator or a tyrant very, very quickly. Yep. Right? And we see that. So what I look for to answer your question now, I kind of went in a, a roundabout way, but what I look for We're all is about moral... taking the scenic route to answering questions yeah, on this good, show. Yeah, good, good. Because <laughs> I, I have a tendency of doing that. Me too. And I'll try to connect the dots as best I can. We'll help but each I other. But I look for people who are, who are moral, good individuals. But I also look for capability because I want to improve in certain aspects of my life. So I've got to be very clear on what it is I want. If I want to improve my level of fitness, then I need to find somebody who is capable of making himself healthy and making other people healthy. If I want to grow my business or my podcast specifically, then I have to find other coaches and influences and people in my life who are already doing that and have results in experiencing and producing those types of results for other people. So I'm constantly looking for those things. And then what I do as I'm implementing new tactics and strategies and ideas for specific areas of my life, I'm going to go back and I'm going to review what I've done. And I ask myself a series of questions, and this will really answer your, your question that you asked. Two of the questions I ask myself are, what did I do well and what did I not do so well? That's how you find the balance is you explore both sides. Yeah. Hey, what did I do well? Well, I... I communicated well. I was well researched. I, uh, I I reached out to the right people. I marketed effectively, and so you take those wins in stride, and then you look at it and say, okay, well, what didn't I do so well? Maybe maybe you you weren't well researched, or maybe you didn't have as much information as you should have, and you you came to a meeting or a conversation less prepared than you ought to. Okay, good. Take that in stride and take that information and balance it with the things you do well. Double down on the things you do well, shore up the things that you don't do so well, and that's how you continue to improve with a balanced perspective of and a healthy relationship of what you're good at and what you're not good at. We, we just don't do a good enough job as human beings honoring our victories. Like it's okay to say, hey, I'm good at this, right? Like I'm, I'm – me personally, I'm a good podcaster. Now I've been doing it for five plus years now and I've had – hundreds and hundreds of conversations. We're almost at, I want to say near 600 podcasts at this point. That's awesome. So I, I should be good at it. And you know what? I am pretty good at it, but I also recognize that there's some areas that I can improve and get better and, and focus more on delivering my message in a way that's relevant and meaningful to people. So you take both the goods, the bads, and then you, uh, you keep walking that line and keep trying to improve. I dig it, man. That's such a good answer. I think we're we're at, at in a time where, like you said, the bo the body positive movement is a good example, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and uh, what, what do they call the the trophies they give the kids when they don't do anything? Sure. Yeah. You get it. Get yourself a participation it, trophy. Yeah. Right? Participation trophies and stuff like that. Yeah. We don't play that game around here. Um, no, it's destructive. It's dangerous. It it is. Well, where's where's the um, where's the incentive to succeed or to, to progress or to develop? Right. You know, right. Do, do you think that uh, 
that is a big problem that we've got with our young men these days? What what are some of the problems that you see with that young men are faced with from a societal standpoint? I think it stems or or has some parallels to what you're talking about. Participation trophies, for example, and specifically what I'm referring to is we don't allow people to experience the weight of their decisions. So what I mean by that, let's just take it in the context of sports because we're using that metaphor of participation Hold trophies. Hold on a second, though. I want you to say that one more time just because I want that to settle in because I, 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 love, I love what you just said. Say it again. Yeah. Uh, well, which part? Which the people, part? People, the they, the they experience get, and the weight? Yeah. The people okay, yeah. don't get to experience the weight of their decisions. Yeah. Just, yeah. For yeah. the listeners, just let that sink in. We've, we, we've reached a point, and, and this is so true, not just with our young men, but with, with everybody, right? With everybody. And I don't even want to get into all the different ways that this is – firing off in my brain right now because I'll probably end up in hot water with somebody politically, but we, we, we've reached a time where through technology and convenience and, and just culture, no one really has to sit and feel the weight of their decisions. Both positively and negatively, right? Like if you take in the context of sports, if you give a participation trophy out for showing up, and then we use these phrases like, showing up's half the battle. No, it's not. <laughs> it's not even it's about like you got your... Right. If that, I mean, you got yourself to the game, like you haven't even got into the, into the arena yet. So it's like, doesn't even count. Congratulations. <laughs> you showed up like you're here now. What? But that's what we use to appease the people who aren't willing to put in the work and the effort to have some, some, some sort of result. But if you take somebody who, for example, has put in hours and hours of effort and blood and sweat and tears and, and really trying to improve himself and really trying to improve the team. And he's doing everything or she doing everything that they can to win the game. And then you don't honor that individual because you give everybody the same trophy. Then why is that individual going to push harder next time? Yeah. They're not right now on the other side, if Let's take let's take the, the the participants, right? Merely the participants. If you don't let them see that showing up is not indeed half the battle, it's not even part of the battle. Like you got to the battlefield, but you give them the same thing that the winners or that otherwise would have won. You give them the same recognition, the same honor. Then they're encouraged to what? Do it again. This is human psychology, right? You encourage and you foster the behavior that you want to see more of. So if you're honoring and rewarding mediocrity, then what you're actually doing is you're encouraging mediocrity. That's, right? it. You, you, that's all it is. So if you want exceptionalism, then you need to encourage, foster, honor, reward, exceptional performance that will foster it down the road. Now, a lot of people will, will debate and argue with that because they'll say, well, you know, then other people will feel bad. Right. So let's teach them how to perform better. Oh, well, Ryan, some, some people don't have dads and father figures and these and coaches and blah, blah, blah. Great. Be those individuals. Step up in your community. Be a better father. Be a better mother. Like step up. Don't just bitch and moan and complain about some people don't have the opportunities. Create the opportunities for them. That's our job as human beings who have some things figured out is to share with those who don't have it figured out or who are less fortunate or through some sort of mental or physical handicap are incapable of producing those results, lead them, guide them, instruct them so they can start producing results for themselves. That's incredible. And, you know, as, as a man, you know, there, there's nothing, well, I mean, as a father, as an uncle, like there's nothing I enjoy more than working with, you know, with my kids, with my, my nieces, my nephews. I was helping my nephew learn to ride his bike the other day. And, you know, 
that's something that as men we could really take on ourselves a lot more than I think we do um, is is taking care of uh, of the kids that don't have those those uh, resources available. Maybe Absolutely. maybe they don't have those father figures. I mean, how do you feel about that? I mean, what 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 do you think that we could do about that? I'm gonna adjust Coach. my lighting real quick, by the way. Yeah, do what you got to do. I mean, you can coach, you can mentor other children, you can uh, serve as an uncle, you can serve as a, a, a mentor, a role model, you can be an instructor. There's so many opportunities to serve these these young boys and girls who don't have the example and don't have the father figures and don't have the role models in their life. So, you know, I, I, I feel like you've got to start on yourself. That's important. You've got to start first on yourself because you can't serve if you haven't taken care of yourself. Now, sure. once you start to get yourself taken care of, then you expand outward, right? So now you look to your immediate sphere of influence, which would be your children, your wife, your neighbors, your colleagues, coworkers. So you start serving them in some capacity. And then you move outwards beyond that. And we have this opportunity with social media, like we were talking about earlier, to reach larger and larger audiences and more and more people through the use of digital technology. It's wonderful, but don't be so fast and, and rush so quickly to help other people when you haven't worked on yourself and you haven't impacted your immediate sphere of influence. Make your own bed first, huh? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Or, or, or as Jordan Peterson would say, you know, cl clean your room right before you start telling the world how it should operate. And yeah, look, yeah. nobody's perfect, including Jordan Peterson. Right. And so some people will say, well, what gives you the right to, to tell other people or suggest what other people would do when you have your own flaws? It's not that you can't be, that you have to be flawless. It's that you have to be on the path to improving yourself. A lot of people ask me, well, Ryan, who are you to say what makes a man a man? Or who are you to talk about what it means to be a man? Look, I'm a man. I'm on the path to improving myself. And I'm going to talk about my experience, my perspective, my thoughts and ideas. And if you like it or on board with it, then let's do it together. And if you're not, that's okay too. I'm not so delusional uh, to believe that my way is 100% the right way, but it seems to be working well for me and thousands of other people. And if you're on board, let's do it. If not, that's okay too. But I'm not obligated to acquiesce to you or to appease or accommodate you, and you're not obligated to stick around. It's a beautiful thing. <laughs> I love that, man. I love that. Now, you do jiu-jitsu. I do. I've been training pretty consistently up until the past two or three weeks uh, for about eight months, so not too long. Awesome. How... Maybe, maybe nine or ten months now that I say that. How, how has that impacted you? Because I, I grew up... Hold on, I've got a dog invading me here. We've got a thunderstorm moving in. Do you guys have thunderstorms in Maine? Uh, not. I mean, there may have been a couple here and there, but not not too many based on our limited experience. We've only been here for nine or ten months now. So, where did you guys move in from? I forget. Southern Utah. Oh, okay. Yeah, we uh we, we get good thunderstorms down here, and I I flew in a buddy from uh, Connecticut last fall, and he'd never he'd never like been to Texas before. And we had a thunderstorm come up, and he was staying out in this camper in my driveway. <laughs> he came in in the middle of the oh, night yeah. going, holy shit, man, what is going on? So I brought my yeah. dog out here with me. He's been hanging out on the couch in the camper, and some thunder, thunder hit. Now he's trying to climb in my lap, but he's a 110-pound yeah, German get... Shepherd, so <laughs> it's not going to work. We have a German Shepherd, too. Did my, aren't they great dogs? Oh, it's the best dog I've ever had. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, um, uh, it's funny. He's afraid of thunder, but his name is Thor, so... It's, oh, really? Yeah, That's funny. He's not doing his job very well. <laughs> uh, Jiu-jitsu is a cool thing. So I've got a buddy who's a black belt, and he's he's my coach. And 
we grew up doing martial arts together um, from the time we were kids. And then when I was 20 and got married and had kids, I, I, I just stopped and my whole body went to shit. My fitness program went to shit. I just stopped doing anything with myself. And I mm-hmm. uh, think that story, unfortunately, is true for a lot of people. And you get into adulthood and you kind of just put your yourself on the back burner and take care of your kids yeah. and your, I call it the responsibility train. Um, and so about four years ago, five years ago, my buddy and I reconnected and he finally got me back into jujitsu and, um, I'm doing that with my boys. I have a nine and a, and a 14 year old boy. And so cool. that has been, um, a transformative experience for all three of us, uh, doing it together. It was important to me to, uh, for my 14 year old, for both of my kids to see dad get his ass kicked. Like that was a really yeah, Im- sure. important thing for me to show them, uh, because it, they're, I know that not, not everyone can do it. Uh, and I get that, but I think that if, if you're a dad that, that wants to, to get your kids into a martial art, you know, for, for reasons of, of self-improvement and, and confidence and all that stuff, unless you're physically you know, not capable in some way. I mean, I don't see any, any reason not to throw yourself into it too. Cause kids like seeing dad get his ass kicked. And, you know, in the beginning, my 14 year old wasn't into any sports. He's never been into any sports or anything like that. Um, and this was like his first endeavor into physical activity of any kind. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it was, that was the big reason for me, why it was key for him to see dad get beat up was because he was obviously discouraged his first day. He was like, man, I got, I got beat up and he got done with his first class. And I was like, all right, buddy, dad's class is next. Watch, <laughs> you yeah. know, and they just, well, had, I, you had know, I would suggest, time. Oh, it's so, it's so good for, him. I would suggest it's not the beating up process. That's good for them. It's to see dad get back up. Good, good point. Right. Cause if you just get your ass kicked and you don't get your, your, and you don't get back up, that's actually, worse than had you done nothing at all for sure right so it's not it's not the beat down it's the fact that you can take a beat down and then get back up i think that's what's encouraging and inspiring to them man that's so key that's so key and and it's been it's been a beautiful experience of growth for us and you know i just for the audience i'm I'm not just talking about jujitsu because you and i do jujitsu i'm talking about it because as a father and as as a man i genuinely believe that jujitsu has enhanced the lives of my kids particularly my 14 year old and we can get into why here in a moment, um, but myself as well, maybe more than than any other thing that that I've ever done, and certainly more than anything yeah. I've ever had my fourteen year old do. Yeah, I would agree with that assessment for me as well. You know, it's it's been a very cool. I've always been athletic. You know, I've yeah. always been involved in sports. I was in, I played football and and baseball, and I wrestled in high school. Um, but yeah, like you said, you know, one of the things that you talked about is I think you said the responsibility train is what you had said. I I like that term, by the way. Um, thank you. I've heard, yeah, I've heard of a, and and the way that I look at this, when we talk about the responsibility train is as noble obstacles. So, so what I'll hear a lot of guys say is they'll say things like, you know, I've just been so busy with work and I'm really trying to get this promotion or this project done. And so I just don't have any time for myself. That is a noble obstacle. Right. It's, it's a, it's a barrier. It's an obstacle to what you know you should be doing and what you want to do, but you're make, you're using noble pursuits, career aspirations as an excuse not to do that thing. A lot of people use their children as excuses like, oh yeah, you know, I'd, I'd really like to, to take care to go to a jujitsu class at night, you know, once or twice a week, but like my kids have sports and they need my attention and they need, they have, you know, homework they need to get done. 
all of that is actually true, which is why people default to those excuses because they sound legitimate. They're not legitimate. Like you need to work your schedule better. You need to be more efficient. You need to have some boundaries. You need to ensure your children have some boundaries and you need to make sure that you take care of yourself, whether it's jujitsu or going for a run or painting or poetry or learning the guitar or whatever your thing is, you need to have some time. You need to be creative and make that time work. And you need to be very, very careful about using noble obstacles, wife, kids, career, et cetera, to keep you from doing what you ought to be doing. Dude, that is so key. I never thought about that before, but that that's such a that's such a good a good point, you know. And I've I've got a a, a buddy of ours. We've we my close buddies now. We've all kind of gotten into the jujitsu thing together. And one of my buddies has recently realized that he was doing exactly what you were describing. You know, yeah. he's like, man, I, I probably could be doing this. There's probably an under underlying reason why I don't want to, you know, or why I'm why I'm I'm fighting that subconsciously. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's a cool that's a cool point to make. I'm glad that you said that. That's a powerful realization for people to come to. I think with you know, one of the things I was just looking today, I saw a story about a uh an attempted kidnapping in New Mexico. Oh, I think I saw this on Instagram. Did you see that? And so oh, the high schooler, is that there is was, that the one? There was a yeah, high yeah. school wrestler that, that that body slammed the shit out of this kidnapper. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I saw that. And, uh, you know, he just he just dove. He was like a 285-pound high school wrestler. And uh, he just dove into this conflict, not knowing, having any context. Like a guy probably could have been armed, and he wouldn't have known. And he just dove into this because he had the confidence and the competence to do so. And uh, completely, you know, he saved these, these kids and this lady and all this stuff. And it just, I was so ex- excited, obviously, to read that story and hear that it went the way that it went. But I was also excited because we were going to have this conversation today, and I wanted to talk to you about that story and ask you about the importance of being a man and being physically formidable and being confident and being competent and being able to protect yourself, like you said, the concentric rings of influence, right? Yourself and then your family and then your community around you. I mean, how important is that? How, how differently does my 14-year-old walk across a room now nine months into jiu-jitsu versus a kid who had never done it before, you know? And then how does, sure. how does that translate into manhood and, and all of the, the things that make a complete and whole man? Well, let's, let's talk about this, this experience that you were talking about. Of course, I don't know the entire context. Neither of us do, yeah, but sure. let's, let's just assume we know enough about it to, to make this kind of informed uh, opinion about it. So if you think about what this, this kid did, we talked about it already, morality and capability, right? Obviously, if we understand the context of the video, Obviously, he's a moral human being, right? He's got a moral compass. If he wasn't, he wouldn't care about it. He would have just drove on with his day and did nothing about it, right? So we know he's moral. Then he backed it up with capability. If I understood correctly, he's like 285 pounds. I think he's a a state champion wrestler or something. He's a a great wrestler from, from what I read, what I saw. Capability. Look, if he's moral, there was another gentleman who was, uh, who was trying to stop this guy, and they right. got into a little bit of a fist fight. He wasn't able to the do guy, much. Not capable. Yeah. So what did he do? He actually ran. You saw he ran. Yeah. And I'm not knocking him. I actually sure. commend him for engaging to the degree that he did. But then when he noticed he was getting his ass kicked, he ran, right? And he, he actually ran out of the store, and that guy was still in there. And that's when, if I remember correctly, that's when the kid came in. Yep. So you have this, you have an example of a, a moral individual, because he was trying to do the right thing, but not capable. 
Yep. Then we have the second example who came in, moral individual and capable. And then he ended up subduing that that individual until the police came and, and arrested him and whatnot. So again, as I said earlier, it's not enough to be moral. You have to be capable too. Morality is great. It's a great foundation. It's what magnifies capability in a positive way. It, it, it's what makes men who they are at their foundational level. But if you're not capable of honoring your moral compass and your code of conduct, then why have it in the first place? You need to have both. And then to talk about your son, you know, that's, that's somebody, a good kid, I'm sure, right? I don't know him, but I'm, I'm sure he's a good kid. I'm sure he's got a good head on his shoulders. He's got a great dad to mentor him, it seems like. So you've got that morality thing pinned down, but he's got to go in onto the mats and he's got to get in the ring and he's got to fight with another individual and he's got to overcome physical and mental uh, adversity and challenge. And when he does, and he proves that when things are difficult, he can fight through it, he can get back up, he can be become victorious in certain, certain circumstances, he can lose in others, but learn. Um, that's what develops that level of confidence that sounds like he's been developing over the past however long he's been training. So yeah, it's, it's very important to have both components. And I would, I would seriously audit yourself as objectively as possible and ask yourself, can you check both boxes? And if you can only check the morality, like I'm a real nice guy, hey, that's all fine and great. But if you can't back up any of that stuff, then none of that really matters. It's all philosophical at that point and it's not applicable in your life or, or the people you're trying to serve. I mean, look, I, I want to be a good husband uh, for, for, for my wife. I want to be a good father for my children. I want to be a, a neighbor who can purchase you know, some groceries if need be if I know one of my neighbors is struggling. I want to be able to uh, lift the car hood off my wife if we were to get into a car accident. Like I want all these things. So I've got to work on those things and I've got to make myself capable of doing so. Yeah, I, that really well put, man. I, I think that that's key to being, to being a healthy whole man um, is to having some, some physical wherewithal, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, just knowing the difference in myself. I, I was athletic, played sports growing up, and then to go from that to being 20, sitting behind a desk, driving a car all the time, going to meetings and sitting in conference calls and shit. Um, over 14 years of, of doing that, our body felt fell to pieces. You know, I was like 33 years old with the back of a 70-year-old man. And I mm -hmm. used to be a gymnast and, I, you know, I played basketball and tennis and, you know, played baseball and did martial arts and everything. And uh, over the last 14 months or so, I've gotten back into all of my all my, my calisthenics and all my workout routines and everything. And it's been a complete 180 in terms of my, my confidence and, and how I just how I feel, how I move. Um, and what, what a lot of a lot of men that I work with and talk to, what they struggle with is what I struggle with. Things like temper problems. If you're not working out and you're not exercising, right, this stuff translate, translates into uh, misplaced physical aggression and physical, you know, uh, emotional control problems. And I described it to somebody like, you know, it's like if you have a, a really powerful, strong container, it can hold a lot of pressure inside of it without exploding. But mm -hmm. if you've got a weak container, like a plastic Coke bottle or something, and you put an Alka-Seltzer and some soda in there, it's going to explode pretty easily. Yeah. And I think that our physical body sort of acts like a container for, for our, our emotions and our spiritual, all the bullshit that could potentially blow up, you know? Yeah, I think I think that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's well said. Just take care of your bodies, man. It's uh, All of it's connected too, right? So, yes. so many people think, oh, if I'm just, 
if, if I read a lot of books, I'll be, I'll be great. Well, no, I mean, it's better than not reading books, I suppose, <laughs> but that's not enough. That's not it. Somebody asked me the other day, they sent me a message and they said, Hey, I have, I'm going to buy this shotgun or whatever. And, and it, it, do you think that's good for home defense? Or no, he said he used the word adequate. That's what he used. Do you think that's adequate for home defense? And what he was asking me, is that the right gun for home defense? And I said, it, it's not adequate. It's a great layer potentially, but it's, it's not adequate. Like there's multiple layers to home defense yeah. from security systems to deterrence, to video cameras, to a dog, to a firearm, to the ability to be situationally aware, to have a plan in, in place for you and your kids and your wife. These are like, it's multifaceted, right? And the same thing is true with life. Like if you're just, if, if you're in the gym three hours a day, four hours a day, and that's all you do, like you're jacked maybe, but like, where's the intellect? Yeah. Right. If all you do is you're reading books and you geek out on all this stuff and you're learning new information constantly and taking courses, that's all great. It's all good stuff. But like, where's the physical component of this? And they're all intertwined, right? You, you need to have physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, and you need to be checking all of these boxes. And the beautiful thing about it is if you're engaged, for example, in a physical activity like jujitsu, since that's what we're talking about, that is going to spill over into your mental health. Absolutely. And if you're working on improving your emotional stability, that's going to pour over into your physical and spiritual uh, capabilities as well. So you're not making decisions in a vacuum, but you do need to ensure that you're checking all of the boxes and letting them feed off of each other. It's super key, man. They are, they're totally connected. They're absolutely connected. One of the biggest things, um, the biggest lessons I learned about that was early on, you know, I was going through a, a hard time last year, early last year. And, uh, I was just trying to push through some shit and I, I, I went and got on a leg press rack and put a bunch of weight on there. And I did it like one time and I was like, man, I can't do this twice. There's no way it's just too much. It's too heavy. And I leaned over to like move the weight and then I was like, ah, fuck it. I'll try it again. And so I pushed out two, like almost blacked out. And I was like, all right, I'm going to go for three and I hit three and I got to like eight or nine and I literally started seeing stars and I was like, fuck it. And I pushed to 20. I ended up doing three sets of 20 and then did 23 on the third set. And That's so amazing. to say all that was just to say that like in that moment, my life changed. It was a pivotal moment in my life. The story may not sound all that climatic, but it was the realization internally that the obstacles that we put on ourselves are almost always mental. Mm -hmm. Like The obstacles that we face yeah. are almost always mental and they're almost always self-imposed and we're capable of, you know, I'm not a mathematician, so I can't tell you what the percentage of, uh, you know, of, of deviation is between what I thought I could do and what I ended up doing that day on the leg press. Right. But it's a huge fucking number, whatever it is. Yeah, for sure. Well, even if it was 10% better. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're talking five, six, seven, eight, nine hundred times better. But even if it was 10% better, that means your mind is, is the barrier. Yeah. I actually have a very similar story. So before we moved out here to Maine, uh, I had my office there in, in the basement of our house. And so as I looked up the, uh, the basement window, I could see this hill. It's the H hill. It's the H for our high school hurricane is where, where we lived. Right. So you have a big H on it and I could see it outside of my window. And I had, I had grown accustomed to running up that hill every couple of days. And it's about, I would say, roughly a mile and a half. And it seems like the entire thing is a 45 degree or steeper incline. So it's very, very steep. And as I was running this hill over the period of two, three, four months, 
um, I would stop about 30 or 40% up the, up the thing. And I would take a breather. I'd walk and then I'd walk for, you know, a couple minutes, two, three, four minutes. And then I would run the rest of it. And I remember one day I was sitting in my office in my chair, looking at that window. And I said, you know what? I'm going to run up that thing with, without stopping. Like, I'm just not going to stop. I'm just going to run up the whole thing. And in my mind, I was like, nah, you can't do that. You probably only get like 30, 40%, just like you have in the past. And I remembered I had run the previous day. So I'm like, no, I'm going to do it this afternoon because I had some free time. And so I, I drove out to the, the bottom of the hill and uh, got my shoes on, started running up. And I got to the same mark that I usually stop. And I said, nope, you said you're going to do it. So just do it. Long story short, ran up the entire hill, mile and a half. And not only did I run up, I actually decided, you know, what, I'm going to actually run down too. So I ran up and ran down without stopping. Never done it before. In fact, 24 hours earlier, I had convinced myself that, that I was not capable of doing it. And I went, what, 300%, yeah. 300 times, right? 300% more or further without stopping than I did 24 hours earlier. It's all right up here. It's all right. You need to make those decisions, commit to those decisions, have some accountability processes in place, have some people around you who are going to hold your feet to the fire when you want to quit. They're going to say, nope, keep going. You're capable of so much more. Man, it's uh, it's incredible what we're capable of physically when mentally we get things right. Yeah, dude, I totally agree. And I think that like the, at least, you know, tell me what you think of this. But here recently, I've started to think that maybe that connection between mind, body, and spirit that the the body has seems to me to have a powerful place in that trifecta because the body is like the easiest or the not the easiest by any means but the most direct uh, component of that trinity that we have have influence over right like if I want to lift my hand right now I can lift my hand but if I wanted to study my mind right now that might be a a fifteen minute meditative process that may or may not work right yeah but, it's the, but physically if I wanted to drop down and do one push-up right now i could do that and doing that one push-up will probably turn into 10 push-ups and probably turn into 20 and and then all of a sudden i've got a even if i don't have a multi-day habit you do 20 push-ups and it stabilizes your mind it quiets things out you know there's there's this mind body spirit connection and through this last 14 15 16 months or whatever i've been doing the fitness program thing it's been a total life-changing thing but that seems to be what i've realized um, is that m making the effort to engage your body and to activate your body is is a powerful tool for conquering your mind and, and your spirit as, as well. Yeah, I agree. You know, I, I look at the body as, I mean, the body's just a vessel. And like, to me, we're so much more than our bodies. We're our minds, we're, we're spiritual entities, I believe. And the body is simply here to house that spiritual entity, right? And each vessel's different. Some are stronger than others. Some are more resilient, tougher, right? But the cool thing is, is we can shore up that vessel. And as you shore up that vessel, it makes the spirit capable of so much more. Because right now, like I think about it in this context, the spirit is unlimited, right? It's the body that hinders it. Yeah. The body is the governor. It's the limiter, right? So improve the vessel. And therefore you take some of that restriction off. It's like that governor on a, on a, like a golf cart, right? It's like, take that, take that governor off, right? And just go screaming down that hill. How do you do that? You improve the vessel. You make the vessel more capable. I, I like what you said about this trifecta, the mind, body, spirit. Um, it's interesting because, well, I, I, I think you're right. 
in that it's easier because you can move your arm or do a push up. But I think the reason that it's easier is because it's tangible. Yeah. It's very tangible. If you said lift arm up, like you can see my arm going up. You're like, oh, okay, well, I wanted to do this. I did it. I can see that I actually did it and therefore mission accomplished. Go up, go down, do a push up. You do a push up, you feel proud because you're like, cool, I did it. Immediate feedback. But how do you wrap your head around what it means to be a good father, mm. right? Or what it means to be a, a more capable husband? Not as tangible. It can become tangible if you're willing to think about it that way. So I talk with a lot of guys, obviously, just through the work we're doing, and we, we have them create. In fact, we're doing it right now as we roll into quarter two for, for 2020 is we have these guys come up with some objectives, and we've got a framework that we use, and a lot of them will come up with these like really just kind of pie-in-the-sky concepts of what they want to accomplish. Like, I want to be a more connected husband. Great. What does that mean? Uh, I don't know. Exactly. That's the problem. You don't know what that means. Does that mean you're going to go on more dates? Does that mean you're going to have more sex? Does that mean she's going to talk to you about more things? Like, what does it mean to be a more connected husband? And then you start drilling down and these guys get specifically the objectives and the thing. I, I want to have, I want to be more intimate with my wife. I want to have more sex. Good. How, how often, how often do you want to have sex? How often do you want to initiate versus she initiate? So you start to get like crystal clear and you make these intangible things very tangible that you can wrap your eyes and your hands around and it's going to be more likely that you accomplish these things. So yeah, we do need to hit the trifecta easier to do the physical fitness stuff than the body and the spirit. But if you can make the body and the spirit work, the mental and the spiritual work, as tangible as you make the body work, you're going to have a lot more success in doing it. Yeah, that's that's totally true. I'd have to work through all of that for a minute, but I I, I like that. That's a good point. I think the uh, look here's a great way to look at this is if you have an objective. Let's say you want to be a more connected husband, right? If if you're if you're creating these goals for yourself, you need to be able to explain to a five year old what that means, and they would be like, "Yeah, I got it." Yeah. I get that. That's that's how specific, that's how crystallized it needs to be. If you cannot explain to a five-year-old or you explain it to them and they'd be like, I have no idea what you're talking about. It's too loose. It's too out there. Crystallize it. Get more granular with it and be able to uh, articulate that a little bit better. It's um, back in, in business school, we always used to learn about like smart goals, right? Specific, measurable, yeah. attainable, realistic, and time-bound. And that's uh, something that stuck with me because I was young, you know, when I under understood or heard that acronym the first time. And it's like a lot of people, I think that's one of the things that I love about your work is teaching men, teaching people to uh, to uh, to set go how, how to set goals. Right. Like how mm -hmm. to set an mm -hmm. actual goal that you can fucking meet that's going to be effective. Like, is is this goal just busy work or, or is it relevant and pertinent to the objective that you're trying to reach? Right. Um which is a super important thing and, and helping men to deal with emotion in a healthy way. Right. Because I think, I think a lot of, a lot of men, and we talk about this a lot on, on, on the show, but uh, a lot of men sort of anger, you know, from society, we've been conditioned that anger is sort of like the one acceptable or expected sort of emotional expression. Right. Like at least growing up as a down in the south in sort of a farming community and stuff like that, you know, it was uh, it was like sort of be be tough, not necessarily a bully, but it was sort of like you know 
be tough. Maybe you could get angry or whatever, but any other emotion besides that or maybe humor was was out of the question. You know, if you were depressed, if you were scared, if you were, you know, if you were in pain, if you were worried or anything like that, that stuff is not a thing. So do you address that kind of stuff in your work as well or helping men to sort of connect with that shit? Yeah. Yeah, quite a bit. And I, I will say anger is, is actually acceptable. Sure. Like we, it's just there, not the only is, acceptable emotion. Exactly. There, there's no such thing as a negative emotion. Like people say, Oh, look, I, I shouldn't be angry. I shouldn't feel guilty or I shouldn't be envious or jealous or whatever. Be, all these things that we would, or, or, or sorry or whatever, like all these emotions that people generally lump into the category of a negative emotion. No, there's no such thing as a negative emotion. There's not even really such, I would say, I was going to say not even such thing as a positive emotion, but really what I'm trying to say is that all emotions are there to serve you. That's very Buddhist. They're all good. Well, they're there. I mean, they're there to serve you. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know much about Buddhism, but maybe, maybe that's good. Maybe it isn't. I don't know. But well, I've, 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 got a, to... I've got Buddha on my forearm, so oh, it cer- okay. certainly yeah, is an insult. have to have another conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. It's 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 a very Buddhist principle, and I I, I dig it. Yeah, all all emotions yeah. are there to, to to serve you or to kill you. It's up to you know your relationship with those emotions is what makes that determination. Yeah, I mean they're well in talk. You know they're they're not even there to they're to kill you. They're to keep you alive, right? So for example, if you're experiencing fear, your your brain. Uh, your amygdala is probably telling you that you might actually die, right? You're afraid because there's something that could potentially kill you. But our our brains haven't quite developed the capacity to discern between fatal fear and discomfort fear. So, so for example, uh, let's assume that you're about to step on stage in front of 500 people that you're about to present to. You will experience the same feelings, the same emotions as our ancestor from a thousand years ago who's about to go to battle with a saber-toothed tiger. That's bizarre, man. That's crazy. I it's never so thought about weird. that before, but that that's so true. So what do most people do? I'm not going to speak in public. I'm not doing that. Why? Because you think you're going to die. You, <laughs> your, your physiological response is literally keeping you alive. So what you need to do when you're experiencing fear, uh, which again, people would generally consider a negative emotion is determine: Is this going to kill me? This activity I'm about to engage in going to kill me or is it going to push me outside of my comfort zone? See, now you start giving context to your fear and using it in a way that's going to serve you. If it's going to kill you. Yeah. Get out of there. If it's just going to push you outside of your comfort zone, then consciously embrace it and walk into it because you know what good comes. Everybody knows what's, what good comes from pushing outside of your comfort zone. So the analogy I use, and I actually talk about this in, a, in, in the book I wrote a couple of years ago, I talk about emotions being akin to the gauges on your dashboard in your vehicle. You've got your odometer, you've got your fuel gauge, you've got your speedometer, you've got your RPMs, you've got all of it just sitting there right in front of you. And all of that is designed to indicate what is going on with the vehicle. Is it operating the way that it's supposed to? Is it responding correctly? Are the fluid levels and the pressure uh, levels where they need to be? And if they aren't, then you get a little bit of a warning, right? And it says, hey, fuel level low. And then what do you do? You take action. You go to the gas station and you fill it up and then you get back on your drive, right? Or if the check engine light comes on, you take it into the mechanic and he reads it and there's a little spit out that says, 
here's the code, here's what's going on with your vehicle and here's what we need to do to fix it. And you fix it and then you go about your day and you go back on the road. Emotions are the same way. So when you're experiencing happiness or sadness or sorrow or remorse or joy or fear or anger or any number of emotions, stop for a second. And just get really and, drunk and shove those emotions down. That's right. Just hide, them. just hide them. Yep. Just hide them. And then what just keep driving wrong? and everything will work out. Yeah, you'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, just stop for a second. Look at the dashboard like you would on your vehicle. If you start hearing a chime in your vehicle, the first thing you're going to do is your eyes are going to go on that dashboard and try to figure out what the hell's going on. Mm-hmm. So when you're experiencing that emotion, stop. Okay, what's going on? I feel fear. Okay, why? Oh, oh because I'm going to do something that's un. Okay, is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? Is it going to serve me? Is it going to hinder me? No, it's going to serve me. Cool. Embrace it. Embrace the fear. That's actually what's going to help you. You're going to be more focused, more clear. You're going to research and study and be more prepared. It's going to serve you. Well, so the emotions aren't there to, to hinder you. They're there to serve you. You just need to be able to decipher what they're telling you and then act accordingly. Yeah, yeah. You got to be able to look at them. And that, that takes some degree of mindfulness, right? I mean, just being aware moment of to moment of what you're, what's your feeling, what you're thinking, what's going on, and then being yeah. uh, willing and like you said earlier, you know, uh, you got to be willing and able to look at those yes. emotions and figure shit out. One of the yeah. things I, I heard a while back, I can't remember who said it, was just uh, something about anxiety is oftentimes just um, it's our it's our it's, it's our way of being uh, of being told that we're we're putting shit off that we should be doing or something like that. Anxiety is just an indicator that you're putting a bunch of shit off. I noticed that that was the case in my life. Right. So like had some mundane things in my life, like checking the mail and going through all the mail and sorting the mail and like little things like that, that were piling up, handling administrative bullshit at my company. And I just noticed I was getting more and more and more stressed and I was just getting more and more anxiety. And it was this, like you said, it was like this fear that every day when I came into work, there was a tiger waiting behind the door and I was Mm -hmm. like, Oh my God, it's just going to eat me. And so anxiety was just going, going to work and all of that. Um, I sat down one day and spent like a Monday going through the mail and sorting it all out and going just going through the letters and doing everything I needed to do. Uh, and in that one day, it was like three months of anxiety was gone just by sitting down and doing the little mundane things. Yeah. And had I listened to my anxiety, my, my anxiety gauge on the dashboard you're talking about, had I listened to that three months earlier, three months of my life wouldn't have been spent in manic anxiety or a ever mounting anxiety um so yeah i think that that's a really cool thing you're talking about with anxiety because it's a a thing that a lot of us talk about and a lot of the um i don't want to be mean and call people gurus or whatever but people you know on instagram and on on social media talk a lot about how to get rid of anxiety right and it's like it's not always about getting rid of it sometimes it's about listening to it which i guess yeah i mean to me I think you're right. I think you you don't want to get rid of it. I mean, you may want it to go away, but you need to address it healthy, right? Like you can, you can make it go away by subduing it. Like you can cover it up. It'll just rear its ugly head down the road, or you can do what it's telling you to do. And then it'll go away that way. That's the more healthy approach. So anxiety, for example, the only reason people are anxious is because they're not living in the present. That's it. If you, if you were living in the present in any given moment, you wouldn't be anxious about it. Prime example, your bills. When did the anxiety go away? 
when you got present with doing the task and stop focusing on what could or could not happen from not or addressing your bills or paying all this stuff and you started doing it, you were present in the moment and the presence in the moment of doing the thing that you should be doing made the anxiety go away. If you're anxious about, I'll go back to the speech in public, the public speaking. If you're anxious about it, you're not living in the present because the present means you're researching, you're studying, you're going through your lines, you're thinking about the audience's reaction and how they'll respond to this and how you could shore up this. Presence makes the anxiety go away. A lot of guys deal with anxiety, depression, even suicidal thoughts, and they ask, how do you make this go away? By being actively engaged in something meaningful and purposeful, whether that's serving yourself or serving another person in some capacity. That's what makes anxiety go away being present in the moment and stop focusing so much on what could potentially be and focus on what actually is what's going on right now. I love it. Have you seen any correlation in your life for the men that you work with between anxiety and physical fitness? Um, well, I think it's a great way to shore up anxiety. Is that what you're asking? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just, uh, presence again, it's present. That's what it is. You're being present. So again, Anxiety is you focusing on something that may or may not be some some situation whether it's in five seconds or five years and then If you decide okay, well, I'm anxious right now. I'm gonna go work out that changes your focus Your focus is no longer on the next five seconds or in the next five years your focus now is how do I leg press this that feels too heavy? But how can I get to 20? Yeah, or how can I bench press or how can I run this just a little bit faster? You're taking your attention off of a future unknown and putting it on something that you can actually control. My mom, and I always laugh because my mom always used to say, idle hands are the devil's workshop. Yeah. Right? All, all moms say that. And, and I roll my eyes. I'm like, whatever, mom. That's true. Because when you're idle and you have nothing to do, what are you focusing on? Future events. Focus on right now. If you're feeling anxious, change. Just rechannel the energy. Okay, I can focus. And it doesn't matter, by the way. You, you're talking about physical fitness. That's a great outlet. So is going outside and just shooting your bow. So is getting a, a blank canvas out and painting a painting. Why? Because it focuses your attention on the here and now rather than the then and later. Yeah, that's it. I think creativity is a huge thing, and I think nature is a huge thing. I know you're you're an outdoorsman yourself, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's what you're doing in Maine. What the hell else do you do in Maine besides becoming outdoors? Yeah, it's true. It's true. Yeah, <laughs> it's um, true. Well, we have friends up in Connecticut. We spend a lot of time up there. We've been up there about five times in the last year. For anybody who's not been to New England, go. It's amazing. Go. It's a magical, magical place. We travel around the country a lot, and of all the places we've been, um, New England has really stolen our heart. There's no place that we, else that mm. we've ever been that we go to you know, halfway across the country that we'll fly to five times in 12 months. You know, we just can't get yeah. enough of it. You guys are so blessed to be up there. Um, no doubt. It To me, nature has such a massive impact on when you're talking about anxiety and depression and things like that. Nature has such a powerful impact on anxiety and depression. Um, people who struggle with lack of purpose or lack of direction, just being able to go out into into nature, into the woods, and hear the the natural sounds that our ancestors two million years ago on the Pleistocene of Africa, what they were hearing the you know the wind rushing through the through the grass and the leaves of the trees and the river running over the rocks. I mean, these are sounds that 
that we've been hearing in our evolutionary chain for, you know, a million plus years. And it's something that in the modern, you know, with modernity, we've lost connection with nature largely. And um, mm -hmm. I think that that's uh, not to derail into the whole Corona thing we're dealing with right now. But when I when I look on social media, I see uh, people, even celebrities, you know, talking about how they're people are experiencing like anxiety attacks and stuff. And they're right now they're locked in their home and they're like, I can't go outside. And they're they're doing the little Instagram stories and they're like, man, I'm losing it. Like, I'm I just I'm driving my wife crazy and I can't stand it. And we can't go outside. And going outside is such a therapeutic thing to do, you know, and mm -hmm. uh, this is sort of exacerbated. I feel like for a lot of people, um, what was already. I feel like this whole lock in situation has exacerbated a lot of things for people. Uh, people who were already living in, in an apartment in downtown were already deprived of of nature and they were already deprived of human connection in a lot of ways even though they're surrounded by people they're not you're not really connecting with your neighbors when you're living in a town sure. home in uptown Dallas um, or wherever um, and now they're locked inside and things are getting really crazy we're out in the country um, so we've been working around the farm we were catching fish yesterday you know and we're out there playing with the goats and stuff and I was thinking about how full my heart felt. My kids are, have been home with me more than ever. Um, you know, we just, we, we just, my, my, my parents are doing great. Everything was good. The grass is green. It's been 80 degrees and it'll rain and then it'll be sunny for a couple of days. And so everything's just green and awesome. And then I get on social media and everybody in the city is having a panic attack. It's having a meltdown because they're locked inside. What do you think about that, about the, the connection between nature and, and 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 anxiety do you feel like people could get out into nature more that it might help with that kind of stuff and depression and the rest of yeah it? totally yeah i mean i think <clears throat> you can come at it from a couple different angles number one i just think physiological we need we need nature i mean we need vitamin d for example from the sunlight yeah. so that alone will prove to anybody that being outdoors is a good thing it's a healthy thing it's a healthy practice but then you start grounding with the earth and you start walking barefoot and you can feel the coldness or feel the wetness or feel the rocks between your toes. Like all of that stuff is going to create a physiological response. So you have that element of it, not to mention the exercise and the burning up energy and all of these things. And you also have a, a focus on the present. So one, a couple of things that you talked about is you talked about, you know, hearing the water run right trickle in the stream or feeling the breeze on your skin or or feeling or listening to how the leaves crackle under your feet focused right now you're where you're where's your focus on the present what i'm doing right now i i can feel that sharp rock i can feel the smooth rocks i can feel the cold water rushing across my feet i can hear it in the background i can hear the birds chirping focused on the present so you have this component of it right and then you have the physical component, which is I'm exercising, my body's absorbing the nutrients that I need. Uh, there's actually a lot of research that's starting su to suggest that cold exposure is actually good physi physiological uh, for the body as well, which I was exposed to over the past couple of weeks. I went and did some Wim Hof training um, and we, we, we did a hike. Uh, it was a four mile hike and it was snowing and all I had on were my shorts and my boots and it was awesome. And we got the cold and you experience the cold and you taught and you, you begin to learn how to body generates heat through focusing on the present. It's very, it's very interesting stuff. So yeah, I mean, being outside is a, is a huge component of this. We need it. We have to have it. That's fascinating, man. That, that Wim Hof stuff. I, I, uh, 
I'm not there yet. <laughs> I'm not there you, yet. You you are. I mean, you would you would be like you would go participate in an event, and uh, you, you, it's amazing how quickly the body can learn new information and how to respond correctly. You, you'd be there, no problem. Yeah, yeah. Do you uh, do you do the ice baths? I I did. I've never done it before. I went to that event, but I have since. How is that? And it's cold. <laughs> cold. <laughs> I mean, I remember I got in, there was, there was about 20 of us at this event. It was me and some other, other friends and we had two big pools and 10 of us got in one bath and 10 of us got in the other. And we had an instructor there teaching us how to, how to, uh, harness the body's heat and how to respond to it and do the breath work that was required to get in a cold bath. And yeah, man, it's rough, but it's also, it's also very therapeutic and it's very interesting. It's amazing how the body wants to respond and how you can actually control your automatic uh, physiological response to stimulus, right? Like, so we think about our automatic response, like breathing or a beating heart. And you don't have to think about that stuff. It just happens. And in stressful situations, like a cold bath, you start to hyperventilate, right? So you get in here like, <gasps> and you try to suck in all that air, right? And so your body's responding to that cold. And then you need to consciously think about how do I slow my breaths down? How do I get control of the way that I'm breathing so that I can control my response to this cold? It's, it's like fascinating stuff. It's very, very interesting. You know, I'm, I'm nervous because I know that in, in, in my, my fitness routine, my, what's become a way of life for me, the cornerstone of my life has all become oriented around fitness now. And, um, mentally and, and spiritually I was already on that path and it's only been the last 14 15 whatever months that physically I've, I've begun to, to to wrangle that in but man I I know the Wim Hof shit is is it's the next step for me it's the it's it's where it's the obvious next step and I'm I'm, I'm <laughs> I fucking hate the cold man I hate it but I know yeah, because, I got so no think choice about it you gotta listen so this ties you got to run at the, the thing is that what I've learned in the gym particularly is that the things that you want to do, like that you dread doing the most are the things you have to run at full sprint. That's what you got. to That's where the growth is. Well, and this goes back to what we were talking about earlier. So you're saying nervous synonymous with anxious, right? Why? Cause you're thinking about something that hasn't happened yet. You getting into a cold bath. Shut up, Ryan. Right. <laughs> okay. So that's one. Now the other angle here is fear. You are responding the same way that an individual who's being chased by a saber-toothed tiger would respond. Get the hell out of this situation. So you're responding to, by being anxious, you're responding to an unknown, an uncertain event that has not happened yet. And you're responding to the fear that our amygdalas are producing to keep us alive. Like you're... And, and I'm not pointing fingers at you. Like, we all do this. This is a great example of exactly what's happening and what most it of up. us fall into. I appreciate it. Yep. Yeah. I'm going to go That's take how it a is, nice man. We, I do it, too. We all do it. Do it right now. You know, just get it done. Fuck. All right. I'll do one today. <laughs> there you go. Don't think about the future. Just think about right now. Uh, so let's talk think about, about right let's talk about romantic <laughs> relationships. Um, let's get off of ice baths for a minute. Um, sure. So you're you're married, obviously. Uh, as a man, as a father, as a as a, a a male contributor to society, we have all these roles and all of these 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 goals and all of these um, 
these these character traits and everything that we're supposed to fulfill and that we're supposed to embody and that we're supposed to be. I think you know, we talked about earlier being a being a father is something that's central to you and I both, right? And uh, would like to think that it should be central to to most most fathers. To me, it's so it it dovetails so much with with being a being a husband, being a partner. Um, you know what what kind of father you are because we we're not just protectors of our kids, but we're protectors of of our partners as well, right? What what does that look like to you? What is what what is a a, a proper whole balanced man's uh, role in um, in terms of his 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 partnership with his significant other? What does that look like to you? What what are we doing? Yeah, well, I would say <clears throat> a lot of people place their wife ahead of them. That's the wrong attitude. It's the wrong approach. It sounds right, but it's not. It's counterproductive. You need to honor yourself first. Take care of yourself first. This is not a popular thought because we've been conditioned to believe that we need to sacrifice and put others first. And especially as men, we need to serve, serve, serve. It's always about other people. No, it's about you. Yeah, in you need general, to take care of yourself first. Yeah, in general, we have to do that in life, and that's that's something that you're you're exactly right. We're conditioned that you know, best case scenario as men, we were condi- conditioned like you know, to put others before ourselves, which again sounds right, feels right, right, all that stuff. But let's just you and I both probably agree for the sake of the audience here that it's it's never that you can you you have to fill your own cup first. We've all heard exactly. that you've got to fill your own cup first, and then you pour out of it from there. Everything right. spirals out from the relationship that you have with yourself. Yeah. And if you don't take care of yourself, how long are you going to be able to take care of others? You're yeah. going to crash. You're going to burn. And then, so you start taking care of yourself and then where do you go from there? A lot of people go to kids. No, you go to your wife. That's where it goes next. You, then your wife, because she was there before the kids were there. She's going to be there long after. That's the idea. Anyways, the kids are gone. And the way that you interact with their, your children's mother is going to have so much greater of an influence than some of these other factors uh, that now I'm not saying you shouldn't do these other things too, like play Legos and be present with them, wrestle, do all these things, but your behavior and how you interact with their mom is a crucial, crucial component of the way they will grow up, the way they will live, how they will think, the way they'll interact with their partner and their spouse, who they will look for. Your boys are trying to be you as a man and your daughters are looking for a partner like you as a man. So you better be certain that you have those things shored up with your wife because that's going to be an integral part of of your children's lives. That's a key thing, man. It really is. And, and you're right. For, for the longest time, I was always trying to put my wife first. I was married for 10 years. I've been divorced for five now mm-hmm. and uh, had two kiddos with, with my ex-wife. And we have a great relationship. We She's a wonderful person, a great mom and all that. Just wasn't a good fit. And through that process of looking and retrospectively back at what I tried to do during during that relationship, there was a lot of self-sacrifice. And what happens, I think, as men is we um, again, best case scenario, you're you're trying to sacrifice for yourself out of the goodness of your heart to give, but you run empty pretty quick, right? Mm-hmm. You just you, you can't put other people before yourself for very long, um, and and eventually, like you said, you, you you burn out. But what really did it for me was the realization that uh, it's something you said here that that triggered this is, um, your kids are watching how you treat mom. 
They're watching the relationship with you and mom. And that's the kind of relationship, male or female, that's the kind of relationship that they're going to seek out and find acceptable later on. And it yeah. was when I realized that the, that, that that relationship was not modeled in a way that I wanted that to be a model for, for my kids. That was when, you know, when we made that decision to, to part ways. And so, um, of course, it wasn't an easy thing to do, but I think a lot of people, um, I get those questions sometimes about not necessarily people who are married, but people who are in a relationship. And they're like, well, hey, here are the dynamics of our relationship. What do you think of this? And I'm like, well, you know, they'll ask, you know, should I marry this person? Should I have kids with this person or whatever? It's like, well, is that the kind of relationship you want kids seeing? Is that what mm -hmm. you want to pass on? Or is that what you saw growing up? And that's just what's, you know, seems normal to you. We struggle with a lot of that as men. Where do we fit in in the relationship, you know? Uh, yeah, you, you have, what is, what, what, what is it you say where the, the, is it on your hat? Protect, oh, protect, provide, preside. Talk about that. Cause that's where I'm, that's where I'm heading with all of this. Yeah. I mean, that's what it means to be a man. You're a protector, you're a provider, you're, you preside, which is synonym, synonymous with leadership. That is your ultimate objective. When things go South and things go wrong, people look to the men, the men and the women always look to the men when things go wrong. It's our job to be there, to serve, to protect, to provide, preside in all ways. And when you do that, you step fully into that role. You're going to be much more fulfilled, much more satisfied. You're certainly going to produce more results for you and other people. It's just a healthy way of living for men. And it is our role and responsibility to do so. Sounds like toxic masculinity to me. So if that's how you define toxic masculinity, then by all means, <laughs> toxic it is. I, um, but you know, it's interesting, you know, you take times like these and that term, which I don't subscribe to, but you take the term of toxic masculinity and maybe it's just cause I'm in the space or I pay attention to it, but you know, I don't hear a whole lot of people talking about toxic masculinity right now. And they're not talking about it because there's countless examples of men using the very traits that people were complaining about being toxic, which would be competitiveness the ability to do violence, strength and aggression, dominance in some cir circumstances. They're using these characteristics that a lot of people were considering toxic and they're using them in very constructive ways that serve people. So when, when th like I said earlier, when things go south, people aren't going to complain about toxic masculinity because men are using the same virtues that they were crying about to, to produce effective outcomes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> you know, that... I read, uh, no, no, I didn't read this. Jordan Peterson said it somewhere. Um, he said that uh, women uh, or, or females or whatever who grew up without a father figure or with a poor relationship with their father figure don't know the difference between an assertive man and an aggressive man or between assertiveness and aggression in a man. Sure, I believe that. Yeah, and, I believe that. And dude, does that not resonate, right? Like it's... Uh, we're, we're Not only women, but men too. Boys who grew up without a father, they don't understand the difference either. And so they're intimidated and fearful of assertive men. They're, they're scared of assertive men because they don't understand the difference between uh, assertive and aggressive. Yeah, yeah. And that was a powerful realization for me to make, you know, uh, both in my, my own relationship uh, and then in, in trying to help people too out there, you know, through the platform is that we... Uh, I'm with you, right? The the toxic masculinity thing doesn't jive with me um, because anything that you would attribute to toxic masculinity, I think you and I would both agree, is not masculinity, right? Like the abuse of 
abuse of power, abuse of your family and any of those kinds of things, you know, no, that's just abuse. Just that's ab- not masculine. It's just abuse. Yeah. Just cause it's it, perpetrated now, by male. Right. People will say, well, no, it's because men are, uh, predisposed or strong as to which is why they'll do that. No, no, that's not why. Cause there's strong men, physically strong men who don't abuse women. Yeah. So it's not that strength in and of itself is toxic. And that's that's what they'll say is they'll say, well, not nobody believes that all masculinity is toxic. Uh, You better check again. I've I've come across articles that suggest that masculinity in and of itself is, in fact, toxic. Uh, The American Psychological Association uh, a couple of years ago now came up with a uh, a study. They called it a study. And they attributed the characteristics that we would generally consider masculine and the characteristics specifically they called out were uh, stoicism, uh, competition and, uh, uh, competitiveness, I think is no competitiveness or strength. I think it was strength or, or violence or something like that. And they attributed this to being destructive and damaging to young boys. Like stoicism, it's crazy stoicism, the ability to understand your emotions and then apply them correctly for healthy outcomes is toxic, is destructive to young men. It's crazy. It's crazy. The narrative that's being pushed right now is absolutely insane. You know, there's like two two part like I don't know. I'm I'm divided on this because one part of me just wants to say like, look, man, I don't know anybody who has these arguments like in the real world outside of social media. Like I don't know anyone who uses the term <laughs> toxic masculinity. I've never heard that term come out of the mouth of any person I know in the business world, you know, um, or or in my community or at my kids' football games or. You know, I try to have a discussion like this, and people that I know in the real world just look at me and go, "What the hell? What are you talking about? Toxic masculinity? What does what does that mean? Where does it come mm-hmm. from?" So, part of me, I just want to dismiss it and just be like, "Look, all these people writing these bullshit articles and saying stupid shit on talk shows, like they're talking to, they're talking to like a a small piece of the real world. They're not talking to the the world at large. You know, this isn't a real problem we got to address." We almost give it more voice by even talking about it. I'm the one who brought it up, obviously. Um, but then the other part of me goes, I don't know, man. Um, the American Psychological Association, they kind of have a reach, and they kind of make medical definitions. And, you know, as much as I'd like to say that it's only the fringes of fucking crazy feminists that use these terms, you got the American psychological people who are putting together textbooks and pharmacological definitions and it becomes a problem, you know, and if we right. don't address it, if we don't bring up the problem in conversation that no one else is talking about, then 10 years from now, you know, they're going to be medicating uh, you know, my grandkids or your grandkids for uh, for hyper aggression because they know how to make a fucking decision on what they want to eat for lunch. Well, they're already doing that. They're already oh, doing that yeah, in the school are. systems. They've been doing it for decades. You know, they tell these boys to sit down, to shut up, to color within the lines. And if you do anything that would be physical in nature or uh, competitive or uh, anything that seems to be disruptive or non-focused, then you're diagnosed with ADD, ADHD, and all these other uh, other learning disorders. And so what do we do? We pump you full of toxins to to fix you. So they've been doing it for decades. There's some great work by Dr. Leonard Sachs, Boys Adrift, Why Gender Matters, and then another book called... Uh, the Boy Crisis by Dr. Warren Farrell. Look, the vocal minority becomes the vocal majority. 
So yes, there might be a, a, a fraction of a percentage of people talking about this, but when it gets into these major publications, it's perpetuated in the school systems by the government and now the medical community, it's clear that this is going to become an increasing problem. And unless we, the vocal, or excuse me, the silent majority are willing to become the vocal majority, then it's the, the scales are going to be tipped. And uh, we've got to talk about these issues and more because we don't want them to become problems worse than they already are. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the idea, and you know, when I talk to my friends, we've, we've all got kids around the same age, nine to 14, 16, 17, 18, whatever. Um, or zero to 18. Um, we've all at some point had encounters with, with teachers and school administrators about the fact that, um, you know, that our kids can't sit still for eight hours at a stretch in a square room with no windows, with a, a square whiteboard and a square desk and a square tablet with square ceiling tiles and square floor tiles. And this is this is the environment that they're that they're being in, in I almost said indoctrinated uh, taught or whatever you want to call it. This is the environment. No, indoctrination is a good term. Um, they, OK. I appreciate that. Um, so, <laughs> it, you know, and, and, and me, you know, I, I sort of come from more of a mystical background. And so, you know, I think of term in terms of sacred geometry and how geometry and, and light impact consciousness. These are the things that really kind of get me going. And that I, I view things through that lens a lot of times. And whenever you stick a kid into a room that's square with squares everywhere and all you see is squares, that's a it's a it's a very straight line, square, boxy world. And it doesn't it doesn't influence creativity or or uh, in a positive way. It doesn't nurture creativity, um, and it doesn't foster any of the uh, what what I would call in the Taoistic or Hermetic sense uh, feminine traits. In that sense, in terms of the mental traits of compassion and and uh, and creativity and all that, it's just sort of an order following factory sort of mindset, right? Um, what do you think about that as far as just the, the environment that the kids are stuck in and the way that they're taught? Yeah, I, I hadn't really considered the, the squareness and in, in, in that in the uh, symmetry, but I mean, I can see that as being a consideration. Well, I mean, have you look, ever seen like the old schools? Like, um, if you look at like um, look at Harry Potter, you see like Hogwarts. You know what I mean? Sure. Or you, like you go to yeah. Harvard and you see all the geometry and the cathedrals and there's curved lines and there's straight lines and these, um, those kinds of things, you know, and then you go into a modern classroom. Yeah. Like, what is this? Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, a little factory, isn't it? It's yeah. pretty interesting. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I could see something that as, to think about. It is something to think about. I, I know that, that boys, for example, learn significantly better when it's experiential, right? So they're mm -hmm. out and they're experiencing it and they're feeling it and they're touching it and they're smelling it. And, and there's elements, there's, there's texture, there's, uh, context to what it is we're learning as opposed to just reading out of a textbook. So my uh, kid was, got in trouble for pulling up grass on the playground. Yeah. Heaven and, forbid he's like into nature and he likes the way grass feels and smells and he wants to roll around in it and get dirty. Like heaven forbid yeah. that that's, that's a bad thing. So yeah. I, the teacher pulled me aside in the carpool line after school and said, I had to get onto him again for pulling up grass. And he was so upset, man. This little kid was so upset. And I said, well, buddy, what were you pulling up the grass for? And he goes, I wanted to see what it looked like underneath the dirt. 
Right, he wanted studying. to see how the root systems fucking worked. Exactly, and I was like, so "Oh, disgusted. but he has to do that in a classroom, yeah." Or he wants to pull, a, like, find a worm in there. Okay, cool, do it, man. Yeah. Now, granted, we can't have kids digging holes in the grass for sure, but like, let's use some common sense here, right? But this, the other, this, this afternoon, in fact, um, we homeschool, so our kids are at home. But um, I came, I came downstairs. It was, it was right before lunch, and my son was in the kitchen with my wife, and they were working on something. I said, "Oh, what are you working on?" And my son was, uh, he had a book, a cookbook out, and he was making a mustard maple vinaigrette for the dressing on our salad tonight. And man, I looked at that. He was having fun. He was like really focused on the thing and he was putting different things in there. He's reading the cookbook, but then doing it and he was like smelling it and then he would taste it. And I was like, That's amazing. I was watching him like, this is awesome. This is what it should be. And then he brought it in cause he helps me with our, he, he's our store store manager. So he helps fulfill all our orders in the store. And we were working on orders this afternoon. He brought it in. He's like, Hey dad, when we're done, can you see what you think? And then he had this jar of maple mustard vinaigrette. And so we finished our orders up. He's like, here and dip your finger in there. It was delicious. And he was so proud of it, you know, and it wasn't your traditional, like look at a textbook and fill out the ABCs and D's. Like it was, it was learning experientially. He smelled it. He touched it. He tasted it. He mixed the ingredients and it was a much more interactive learning process for him. This is how we learn as human beings. Well, one of the, one of the beautiful things that I, I figured out a while back and you're doing it, living it as a, you know, as a homeschool parent is um for me my kids went to a private christian school and then after their mom and i were, were divorced they went back to public school but even in in the private school certainly in the public school we realized early on that like the education can't come solely from outside so of course yeah. you're homeschooling a lot of the audience is not homeschooling obviously so sort of you know for anyone who's not homeschooling um as a parent, don't think for one second that the that the education has to come solely from, exter- you know, the the external world. It doesn't have to be just teachers and all of that. And then your kid gets it home. shouldn't come from only that. <laughs> it really shouldn't. Um, but that was you know, sort of when I when I grew up, the majority of my education came from that. And then I would go home and read a lot, right? Um, but my my parents weren't educators, and they they worked hard, and you know. The, that wasn't a thing I think that that ever occurred to them. So, you know, spend time with your kids, um, fill your house full of books. Um, take your kids to the bookstore with you just to throw some tips out at parents, things that may have not, you know, may not have occurred to you, or maybe you're, you want to be a parent one day and you're, you're fishing for ideas on how to do a better job than your parents did. Take your kids to bookstores, show them how books work, show them how the, how to find what they might want in a bookstore. Get them excited about going to the bookstore. Let them pick stuff out. Take it home. Read it with them. You know, mm-hmm. um, uh, science projects. The internet's a cool place for looking up science projects to do. You can do cool little shit. You know, in your kitchen, um, you can make play-doh. You can make ooze. Um, kids do all kinds of crazy flubber stuff. Um, there's a million things you can do. Go out and pull up the grass and show them how the root systems connect and talk to them about yeah. how every tree can house a family of birds and a family of squirrels. And, you know, kids are fascinated and curious about nature and curious about the universe by just by birthright. They're just born that way. And it's only through a process of indoctrination and pounding out their creativity that they lose that. So just do whatever yeah. you can do to foster and nurture that creativity. 
Agreed. Just get them involved in what you like doing. That's it. If you're working on a project, have them do it with you. You know, we're, we're fixing our gym in the garage right now and I have my boys come out and help me move things around. And, um, my oldest boy, I had to take a door off of one and, and, and replace it with another door and the hinges weren't fitting and we had to recut holes for it. It's like, I showed him all that stuff and he was engaged and interested and asked questions and he's learning about math and critical uh, thinking and, uh, adapting and, coming up with little workarounds like these are the things that they learn when they do stuff like this so valuable so valuable it's super valuable man well ryan what do you think dude i think that was a great conversation man i appreciate it yeah you bet no i appreciate the opportunity yeah i think there are a lot of people that um are, are looking for these conversations whether it's uh whether it's a lot of ladies I talk to, because we've got we've got a, a pretty cool. I'm really stoked about our blend on our platform. We've got about a 60 40 men and women population or a, a, a demographic, and so a lot of the ladies want to be able to understand their men better. <laughs> you know, sure. or they, or they yeah. want they want content to send to their boyfriend or their husband or their son or their their mm-hmm. brother. You know what I mean? And um, I really I'm I'm thankful for that for that sort of blend that we have and. It, it puts us in a place where I can reach out to people who are um, heroes of mine, people like you and Stefanos Safandos and other other men who do uh, probably more directed work than I do directly into the heart of the masculine space, um, sure. which is super, super important work. And um, I'm just really thankful that you're doing what you're doing. And I know that a lot of people are. I hope that you just keep doing it for a very, very, very long time. And um, maybe one of these days, whenever I get up to New England, I can take a train ride or something up to Maine. And uh, let me know, man. Come, come, show up on your back porch with a, you know, with a deer rifle or something. We'll, we'll, we'll be happy to host you. Just let me know. We'll make it work. That'll be awesome. Hopefully, we'll get through all of this nonsense here pretty soon. Um, yeah. Tell everybody where they can find you. Give them a, give them a shotgun blast about order a man. We probably could have gotten into that earlier, but let's eh. go ahead and take a minute to do that. Tell them where to find you and, and all that stuff. Yeah, well, you like podcasts, you're listening to this one. So Order Man uh, podcast is available. We've been going for about five years. So wherever you're listening to this, then you can listen to that as well. Uh, You can check me out on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all at Ryan Mickler. And orderman.com is our our website and headquarters. So between those couple of resources, you'll find everything that we're doing. That's awesome. And again, for anybody who hasn't checked out Order of Man yet, super powerful stuff, great stuff. Share it with your... Uh, with the man in your life, the men in your life, uh, it's it's good. Something for everybody in there. Uh, you know, I've sent your podcast to every one of my buddies, um, and you know, everybody's gotten something from it. So again, thank you for that. Uh, and as for us over here at Wayfinder, you guys make sure that you're subscribed, whichever platform you prefer. It's easiest to go to wayfinderpodcast.com, and you can find the portal there that has access to all the different platforms. YouTube, iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, all that stuff. Um, but we appreciate it. And uh, for Ryan's podcast and for our podcast, leave us reviews. You know, you go to like the podcast app or whatever, leave us a review. Um, that stuff actually does us a lot of good. I, I was kind of unaware of it. Ryan's been doing this for longer than me, so he probably already knew how important that was. Um, but it really helps when you leave us comments and reviews and all that stuff. So please like, share, and subscribe. And uh, on that note, that's about it for today. We hope that you guys will join us again soon. And from Adam, from Ryan, from everybody at Wayfinder and the Order of Man, may the light be upon you. May peace be within you. May you be a son on the paths of all men. God bless, guys. 
We'll see you next week.